We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm Brandon Pollan, and I'm one of your hosts, and as always, I'm joined by my fellow co-host, F. Scott Field. Unfortunately, our other co-host, Stephanie Weirock, was unable to be with us today, as she is currently down in Orlando, Florida, um, working within the House of Delegates at APTA's next conference, so she is busy with that. Today, we have an incredibly special guest as I have the pleasure of welcoming my former spine professor and the clinic owner of my last clinical rotation when I was a student back in Illinois as I'm very happy to welcome Dr. Ken Olson, who is now the current president of IFOPT, which stands for the International Federation of Orthopedic Manipulative Physical Therapy. And the only, he's also the owner of Northern Rehab Physical Therapy Specialties with four clinics around the DeKalb, Illinois region. Now, Ken, I must say, thank you for so much for coming on the show today. And, you know, today, of course, with the topic being um, discussion on IFOMT and along with discussing um, things of what's been going on within IFOMT and also some residency fellowship aspects, too. To start off, would you mind giving us a little bit of some background into kind of who you are and kind of how you got involved with IFOMT to where you are now as the president? Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me on your program. Um, it's, it's, it's good to, to see you again. And uh be a part of this. Well, you know, kind of my story is that um, very early in my career, I had the opportunity to move to St. Augustine, Florida and work with Stanley Paris and go through the University of St. Augustine's fellowship and residency program, as well as do their master's and doctoral program. And when I was there, Dr. Paris actually organized the IFOM conference that was in Vail, Colorado in 1992. So I had a chance to, to go to this conference and meet some of the big names in manual therapy, and it really inspired me to get more involved in the profession especially this area of manual therapy. So once I finished uh, the program, I moved back to Illinois in, in the mid-90s and then was um, elected to the executive committee of the AAOMPT, the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists, uh, which is the member organization to IFOP. So after about 10 or 11 years on the executive and finishing a term as president, I then um, sort of got more involved on the international stage and, and 2008 was elected to the I found the executive committee and then uh, 2016 was elected president. So Ken, to start off, you know, a little bit going into IFOMT, what is the mission of IFOMT and what have been some of the accomplishments that IFOMT has achieved? Well, IFOMT's mission really is to be the global leader of orthopedic manual physical therapy excellence. Uh, so we essentially, through our 22 member organizations and uh, we have 17 registered interest groups, but through that we've created this network of international leaders in orthopedic manual physical therapy 
education, practice, and research. Uh, so some of the things that can kind of evolve out of that are uh, developing consensus documents, uh, and uh, such as clinical practice guidelines, and um, most recently, the cervical arterial dysfunction uh, framework, uh, which was an international consensus document of uh, experts in manual therapy who put together guidelines for what should be done before you treat uh, somebody with neck pain, uh, including um, you know, safe practice of manipulation with that. And that group actually is back together working on revising that document. But through that process of revision, they, they will gain consensus amongst the international experts involved with IFOMP. Uh, also, IFOMP has international st standards that establish what should be included in a uh, post-professional um, manual therapy educational program. Uh, and a result of those educational standards, which actually are a requirement to become a full member organization, um, the, the um, member organizations then once you become a, a specialist and a graduate of an IFOMP approved program, you can gain international recognition or recognition within other IFOMP countries as being a specialist in those other um, uh, countries as well. Uh, so it's, it's really kind of unique in that uh, we have these international standards uh, that all the member organizations uh, need to meet in order to gain that reciprocal recognition of their specialists and also to be involved in that international network of experts. Yeah, that's awesome, Ken. Uh, I know Talis Media interviewed you in the past, and you talked about IFOMP's work in South America. Uh, and I'm just curious, what exactly has taken place in South America, and, and globally for that matter, in general, from the work that IFOMP has done since then to kind of give an update? Yeah, thanks. Uh, the um, Well, my most recent experience was that just a few weeks ago, I was in uh, Zaragoza, uh, Spain, for an orthopedic manual physical therapy conference there that was being held by the, uh, our member organization from Spain, uh, OMT Spain. And, um, and interestingly enough, that is actually the only Spanish-speaking country that is a full member organization of IFOP right now that has met the educational standards. Uh, so there's a real interest to try to expand into other areas uh, um, of the world, uh, such as South and Central America, uh, that have been previously kind of un underrepresented by IFOP. So, uh, right now, we do have uh, four countries in um, South America that are registered interest groups, and uh, we have maybe three or four more who are interested in becoming registered interest groups. So, you know, we, we have these two levels of membership of IFOMP. Uh, a full member organization has reached the, has met the educational standards and has full voting rights within IFOMP. And then we have uh, other developing groups that we refer to as registered interest groups. Uh, that have an organization that are trying to develop their educational programs to eventually meet those educational standards. So that's kind of where we're at in South America is that we have, like I said, four countries that are at that registered interest group level and maybe three or four more who are trying to develop to become registered interest groups. Uh, so we're, we're trying to mentor them and sort of bring them along so that they can become full member organizations in, in IFOMP. Yeah, no, that's really good to hear, especially kind of hearing that update and kind of seeing how it's really trying to grow to really set those standards in kind of the Central and South American countries. And it seems like, yeah, there's a few countries that are, that are, but then there's also a few that you guys are looking to kind of mentor and guide to bring up, which I think is really admirable. And I really like that. Um, to take it to a next level, though, to go maybe a little bit broader than just South America here and maybe talking about some long-term stuff, 
oh, how is IFOMP looking to continue to advance the practice and scope of PT across the globe? And maybe even looking at what's going to be going, like, what are your guys' goals in the next few years, like from big missions to accomplish other than what you just mentioned? Well, uh, you know, certainly we want to see some of those underrepresented areas of, uh, you know, South America and even the Middle East kind of evolve. But, um, you know, we're also kind of looking at how the practice of orthopedic manual physical therapy can kind of evolve into the future. So certainly the IFOP educational standards kind of lay out um, what it takes to become a good uh, clinician in this specialty area with good clinical decision-making skills as well as the requirements for having good good mentoring along the way to achieve that. But kind of looking to the future, it's like, well, what else can we do as physical therapists in terms of advanced practice physical therapy? Uh, and how can IFOP sort of um, sort of establish goals to help help us reach those those areas of advanced practice in the future? So those are some of the things that we're also kind of looking at uh, in addition to sort of <clears throat> building in, in the previously underrepresented areas of the world. Yeah. So Ken, I got another question just because when you kind of talked about that plan, I'm just kind of curious, got to go. I'm always thinking in the back of my mind. So what have you guys experienced from IFOM's perspective, from being the president as some of the maybe barriers or some of the hoops that you have to go through to kind of make this stuff reality, just to give some perspective for maybe someone who's not involved in it like myself. The barriers really are resources is, is one is, is a big one in terms of just uh, time and money for these you know, socioeconomic, socioeconomically challenged uh, parts of the world in particular um, to be able to put together an educational program and, and provide the mentoring, have the, the support to, to include research in the educational programs. Um, so that, those, those are some pretty big uh, hurdles to overcome. And then there's also political barriers within the country um, because the, since IFOPT is actually a subgroup of WCPT, the World Confederation for Physical Therapy, um, the Manu Therapy Organization either needs to be a subgroup of their parent organization, which would, in this case, like in the, in the U.S., would be the APTA, which is the member of WCPT. So you either have to be a subgroup, or if you're separate from the parent organization, you have to, all your members have to belong to the parent organization, and you need to be recognized by that parent organization as sort of the designated group to represent your country to IFOM. So, um, so there, some of what IFOM gets involved with is trying to sort of smooth out some of those relationships so that uh, the parent organization will recognize that manual therapy organization so that they can become a, a member. So it's really resources and, and then some of those uh, relationship issues between the professional organizations that can become the barriers. Yeah, Ken, you mentioned the WCPT and, you know, Talus Media did a fantastic post with uh, kind of a helpful visual on the tangled web that organizations, uh, including the APTA, uh, the ABPTERFE, the AAOMPT and the IFOMPT, um, you know, as well as others uh, have on residency and fellowship standards, you know, and, and we'll kind of keep a, a bunch of links to those in, in the show notes. But do you think you could maybe explain IFOMP's role in residency and fellowship education and your thoughts on this current integration of organizations in the process? Sure. Um, well, you know, with IFOMP uh, having uh, the requirement to meet educational standards to be a full member organization. Um, so what's happened, what happened in the United States is that even though IFOP was founded in, the, in uh, 1974, the United States was unable to be a member organization of IFOP because 
there really was not a mechanism to um, credential or credit the, the programs that were being offered in the United States to see if they met IFOP standards. So there is no like really uh, accreditation part program process back then for residency programs. So um, and the process was not um, being developed through the APTA. So what happened was Freddie Coltonborn actually pulled together eight uh, individuals who ran residency programs back in 1991 and brought them together. And out of that meeting came uh, the formation of the AAOMPT, the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists, which was essentially established in order to try to establish a group to kind of uh, bring these residency programs together and create a, an accreditation process for the residency programs to see that they could meet IFOM standards so that the U.S. could become a member of IFOM. So, so that group was founded, and actually Stanley Paris was one of those founding members. So I was actually working for him at the time when this was all taking place. And, um, and so then, so in 1992, the U.S. was actually brought in as a member of IFOM because they had this organization now to uh, recognize or accredit the programs. So the Academy sort of did this on their own for, for several years, and eventually the APTA did develop an accreditation process, which now has kind of evolved to this ABPTRFE, referred to as AFTRI. Um, and so, so at around 2000 or so, the, uh, the AOMT and APTA joined forces and decided, well, it's silly to do these, program, these accreditation process separately. So they they merged the processes and put it under the APTA or APTRI's um, um, process. But there was, there was a, a agreement that AAOMBT would sort of be responsible for making sure that the IFOM standards were met and they would, they would develop these uh, descriptions of um, specialty practice and different things like that that were, were, would be required for APTRI to really make sure that the IFOM standards were, were met. Uh, so that's kind of been the relationship over the last several years is that uh, so uh, AAOMPT is the memorization to IFOM and they, they, part of their role is to make sure that those IFOM standards are met. But then the APTA actually through APTRI actually administers the accreditation process for residencies and fellowships in the United States now. But it's with, um, you know, kind of input from AAOMPT. So I hope I've made that clear, but it is kind of a tangled web. But uh, it is kind of an example of how, you know, the, uh, the parent organizations working with the specialty organization for what's best for the profession. Um, and so you could even say that without IFOP sort of, uh, you know, being there with these educational standards and sort of pushing countries to meet those, um, you know, as a result of that process, you can see how residencies and fellowships have flourished in, in the United States, not only in manual therapy, but other specialty areas as well. Um, so I think it really has been a, um, a very good thing for the profession. Yeah, and Ken, I think you bring up a few good points there, because I think that really did help kind of clarify that definitely tangled web that definitely exists there for a listener, so that's very helpful. And, you know, of course, going through some of the pros with having residency and fellowship programs being able to flourish in the U.S., but also having kind of collaboration and kind of like a checks and balances system, if you will, between all these boards. But, you know, I'm going to ask you another question, because we always like to play devil's advocate on this show. So... There are some good pros. Are there any other pros that you could think of that you hadn't mentioned? And are there any cons that you see with kind of how this current method or integration is set up currently? Well, you know, I think, you know, I think the pros probably do outweigh the cons because the pros, you know, are, uh, you know, we're seeing a flourishing of, of this area, these areas of specialization. We're seeing development of programs. 
uh, we're seeing uh, you know progression and, and growth as, as in our uh, within the profession and in, in our specialty area. You know the cons really are kind of back to those those barriers we talked about of it's a lot of work to kind of maintain those relationships and and that communication between the organizations. Uh, and then you know another con is just the, the resources. You know it takes a lot of uh, human resource, a lot of t- volunteer time, as well as as well as just the cost of of uh, not only the programs trying to meet those educational standards, but you know to demonstrate that they meet them and and, and the process of how they're assessed and and so you know it can it can become a burden. But I think if you look at the big picture, it really it really does pay off for the profession that that programs will go through that. Yeah, Ken, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the latest requirements uh, about requiring either an OCS or residency completion in order to enter fellowship uh, and the other requirements that have been proposed. Well, I th- you know, I think from the U.S. perspective, it, it kind of makes sense in that this is sort of the vision of where they see uh, the process going that, you know, it'd be natural to go from a residency to a fellowship program. But from an international perspective, you know, the rest of the world isn't really doing it quite that way. I mean, it, it really is more, uh, you know, they're kind of looking at each individual candidate and, and doing more of a portfolio review and make sure that they're kind of ready to enter a post-professional program, um, it, which which was kind of the third option previously. So, you know, from, from an IFOP perspective, I, I pass, have to say that, you know, making an OCS or residency uh, completion a requirement is not necessarily something that IFOP is look, looking for. Um, like I said, it could be sort of part of the vision of what the leadership in the, in the U.S. wants to see that happen in the future. But really, the rest of the world isn't really doing it that way. You know, the rest of the world is kind of looking at each individual candidate and seeing if they're ready to kind of enter a program and, and, and move forward with that. You know, and, and the other thing is uh, most of the rest of the world is still at the baccalaureate level for uh, their entry-level education. Some have moved on to a master's. And, um, but it might be, a, you know, so it's like a three to five year, you know, process to get your entry level degree. And then, you know, a therapist might work for a year or two and then go back for a master's degree in orthopedic and physical therapy or a community based program. Um, so, you know, you're looking at uh, the rest of the world turning out manual therapy specialists who are in their mid 20s. And, you know, in the U.S., by the time you finish your DPT and then get your OCS or do a residency and then move on to fellowship. You know, it's you're you're pushing thirty. You know, so it, it does become, and that's if you take the fast track. You know, to move right through. So, you know, you are looking at life events sort of getting in the way and can get uh, uh, a bit of a challenge for people to complete those programs. I'd say so. You know, so I guess I, I'm I'm kind of on board with just you know keeping it keeping a little more flexibility to it uh, because to uh, open the doors for as many individuals who who can do this as possible. I think that's a good point, Ken. And I think even, you know, as you say before, it's, it's a little, it takes a little bit longer here to kind of get to that same level compared to other countries. And I think cost is also a big one with that, with the debt coming out. And, you know, and I've, it's interesting because when we talk about the OCS here is that I've talked with, and I haven't taken it yet personally, so I must preface all my comments by saying I have not experienced it personally. With your experience, you have way more than I do. I'm kind of curious on what are your thoughts on that process? Well, I, I think it's a I think it's important to have professional goals and, and working towards completion of something like an OCS can uh, be a really good learning process and, and give you a goal to work toward. And I, I, you know, I think you can become a better clinician by, by doing something like that. 
But, you know, I think the thing about, you know, residency and fellowship training that you're going to get that's, that's far superior in, in a lot of ways is the, is the mentoring. You know, it's that one-on-one time with a clinical expert in the clinic, working with patients together, having, having and developing that mentoring relationship. So, um, so you know, if you, can, if you can have a good mentoring relationship and work towards an OCS, that's, you know, you're going to get a lot out of it. Um, but the res- it's sort of built into the residency and fellowship concept that you're going to uh, link uh, up with uh, a good mentor and, and, and that's really going to help your career really take off. Um, as, as it did with, with me having that unique opportunity to work with Stanley Paris early in my career. Yeah, Ken, we, we've heard guests talk about standardization and reduction in variation in orthopedic residency and fellowship programs. And I'm curious as to what your thoughts are uh, on what level, you know, the kind of Goldilocks zone is for appropriate, you know, re- reasonable areas as far as standardization among residency and fellowship goes. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think by having sort of these common educational standards that everybody's working toward, it's going to help take away some of that variability. But yet, you know, those really are like referred to as dimensions or their objectives of the program. So there is quite a bit of flexibility within that in terms of how you can demonstrate that you meet those, those educational standards. And, uh, but, you know, I think the other thing that, um, and so, you know, it's, it's okay, I think, to kind of come at it from, from different perspectives. And, and, uh, you know, historically, uh, a lot of manual therapy programs were based on um, sort of the ideas of, of a particular uh, strong leader in the field, you know, so there was, there were kind of traditional Maitland programs and their traditional Colton Boren programs and, and other big international leaders in the field. And I think what we've seen uh, in the United States is that as a result of working uh, collaboratively in the U.S. through AOMPT, that even though some of these programs started with these strong international leaders, uh, you know, over time, the, uh, the variance in those programs starts to diminish because of the knowledge that we're sharing, you know, through the professional organizations and, and through the research. And, and if we all kind of follow the evidence, eventually the programs are going to start looking more and more alike as we sort of weed out the stuff that doesn't have much support and kind of infuse the stuff that does have good support. So I think, um, you know, I think the process of working collaboratively through professional organizations and, and through uh, accreditation of these programs does eventually start eliminating some of the, some of the, some of the variants, which I think is, is, is uh, helpful. Um, and, you know, I think the important thing is that, you know, when it comes to manual therapy that you, that you learn, you latch onto a system and you learn it extremely well. Um, and that's where you're going to learn good manually, manual handling skills. You're going to learn good clinical decision-making skills. Uh, and then you, you continue to learn and, and pay attention to the evidence. And then you start kind of weeding out, you know, what's, what's not supported and pulling in things that are. And eventually the variant starts to, to be somewhat eliminated if, if you're really being, uh, using those good clinical decision-making skills along the way. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point on that, Ken. And, you know, just kind of to be curious here, because, I, because you know, if someone perhaps was listening, whether that be a clinician, educator, or student for that matter, if they want to get involved in IFOMT, how can they do it to kind of really help contribute to globally advancing the PT profession and scope of practice in general? Well, you know, the way to get involved with IFOMT in the United States is to get involved with AOMPT. Yeah, so certainly, um, you know, 
they have tremendous meetings. Uh, you know, and their annual meeting is like the premier manual therapy uh, professional meeting of, of, of the year in the U.S. And, and it's, you know, and I've been to a lot of these meetings across the world and, and it actually it competes with a lot of, you know, these other international groups. So um, the, this year it's going to be in Reno, Nevada, November 9th to 11th, uh, 2018. And actually the IFOMP executive and standards committee are going to come and attend that meeting and participate and be some of the speakers. So it's kind of a, a great opportunity for uh, therapists to kind of you know, jump on board, learn more about IFOMP and, and sort of get involved in the, you know, the U.S. professional organization uh, in IFOMP so that uh, you can kind of, you know, so go into the meetings and then, and then being a member of that organization also. So they'll, they'll, they'll push you the information each month in terms of, you know, what's going on uh, within the organization and also some of the international news. Uh, so that's really the best place to start is, is, is with the AOMPT. Awesome, Ken. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show today and just kind of help educate our audiences to all things IFOMP. Um, we have one final question that we ask every guest, and that question is, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? Well, you know, I, I hopefully you can hear from our conversation that uh, residency and fellowship training is is kind of a passion of mine. So, you know, if I could change something, I'd really like to see that be a requirement and an expectation um, to practice physical therapy and, and probably for licensure as well. So in terms of how you would do it, maybe when you graduate from uh, PT school, you get some sort of provisional license. And but then until you complete that, um, that more advanced mentoring in a residency or fellowship program, you don't get really fully fully licensed until you, you complete that. So, so I think that to me would be the model of the future to, um, to really advance the profession and make sure that we're, we're the best that we can be. I think that's a really interesting take because I know we've had a few others that have talked about that. And EIM has also been doing a lot of stuff that's trying to shorten the program so then students can work that year under someone, get money also that'll help with the debt and then also develop. So I think that's a very interesting model, and I can definitely see some pros and cons how you look at it, but I, I think that's a really interesting idea, and it's innovative, which I really like, because I think that, you know, gathering the challenges that we're facing with debt and then all these things coming up, all these barriers that exist out there, we need to start being creative to kind of find how we're going to get around that. Yeah, I think those guys are doing some really innovative work and are real leaders in the profession, so, um, so it's great that you've had a chance to talk to them. Yeah. You know, Ken, we always like to kind of ask if anyone has a follow-up question for you or on anything that we've talked about or about iFont in general, where can people find you online if they want to follow up with you? Well, you could go uh, either to like the iFont or the, or my practice, Northern Rehab Physical Therapy Specialist websites. Um, I'm, I'm also on Twitter at uh, Ken Olson PT. So uh, I'm not, a, I'm not really great at social media stuff, but that is the way <laughs> you can find me as well. So well, Ken, again, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure to reconnect and always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, good, good speaking to you guys this morning and uh, uh, look forward to hearing more from you guys in the future. So thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Ken. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere healthcare a telehealth platform is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare 
which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.